1: Bloomberg is now on your dashboard with Apple CarPlay and Android Auto. It gives you access to every Bloomberg podcast, live audio feeds from Bloomberg Radio, print stories from Bloomberg News in audio form, and the latest headlines at the click of a button with Bloomberg News Now. It's free with the latest version of the Bloomberg Business app. That's the Bloomberg Business app. Get it on your phone in the Apple App Store or on Google Play. Just download the app, connect your phone to your car, and get started. And it's all presented by our sponsor, Interactive Brokers.
2: Welcome to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. I'm Paul Sweeney, alongside my co-host, Matt Miller.
1: Every business day, we bring you interviews from CEOs, market pros, and Bloomberg experts along with essential market-moving news. Find the Bloomberg Markets podcast
2: on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and at Bloomberg.com podcast. We talk about serial entrepreneurs, and I got to throw our next guest into this category, Brad Jacobs. He's the executive chairman of XPO, you know that uh, logistics company. XPO is a ticker uh, on your Bloomberg terminal. New Stocks York Stock up chain.
3: more than one hundred and seventy
2: percent. Not bad. Year. It's got a, a ten point yeah. five billion dollar market cap. All right, but before um, that, XPO, he was chairman and CEO of Uni- United Waste Management, uh, United Waste Systems. I'm sorry, uh, former chairman and CEO of United Rentals, uh, and he is CEO of XPO from 2011 to 2022 before becoming executive chairman. So this is somebody who just can't sit still.
3: Quite the CV, Brad Jake. <laughs> uh, he's in our Bloomberg Interactive broker studio
2: today. So, Brad, I know you've got a new fund out there, a billion dollars. I'm guessing most of it, if not all of it, it's uh, your money. What are you guys looking to do with this new fund? What's next? So only $900 million is mine. Okay. The other $100 million is from friends and family, Okay. the
4: largest one being Sequoia Heritage. Oh, nice. That's and a, and a good And the family fund. being real family, like yes, my, okay. my sister, my brother, okay. my nieces, my nephews. <laughs> so we're taking that billion dollars and we're putting it into a small cap, about $15, $20 million market cap. Well, it was. It's doubled its stock price today, so maybe it's 30 or $40 million market cap now, called Silver Sun Technologies. Okay. And we're then going to spin that company back off to the legacy shareholders of Silver okay. Sun. So, in a few months, when the deal closes, the Silver Sun shareholders will have their company back. They'll also get a $2.5 million dividend, and they'll get a about a 0.3% share in my new company. And your new
2: company is going to do what? Well, we haven't announced the industry yet. I wanted the the market. But you're going to use this shell, uh, this publicly, this This public entity, this vehicle, to make an acquisition. Absolutely. So tell us what the acquisition is.
4: This company will be publicly traded. Yeah. It'll have a billion dollars in cash. Okay. And we'll do the same playbook that I've been doing for decades. I'm going to consolidate an industry. I'm going to buy companies. I'm going to assimilate them, I'm going to improve them, I'm going to to get synergy from them, I'm going to assemble a world-class
2: team, I'm going to apply technology to improve the business, and we'll be off to the races. So you've identified the company, you just haven't announced it yet? That's correct. So do, do we can well, you tell us. Is, is we've we've identified the industry. You've identified the industry. industry.
4: Okay. We, we, we don't have a company, per se okay.
2: that we're about to buy. Although okay. we're talking to several of them. Are, okay.
3: Can you tell us what the industry is here? Well, we will play bigger than a refrigerator, <laughs> smaller than
2: a bread. Box. So I got to get you back again in yeah. like what a week's time or something. Something like that. All right. All right. So. What do you look for? I mean, waste management, logistics. I mean, these things aren't sexy, but what do you look for? I think for? they're sexy. <laughs> yeah, well, Come on. they're sexy for your bank look, account. Sexy means
4: making a lot of money for <laughs> that, shareholders. That's right. And at United Rentals, go. we got in. It was it was three dollars and fifty cents a share when I started the company in 1997. And on Friday, it was over five hundred dollars a share. And right. in XPO Logistics, when we started in 2011. It are The investors who came in with me made 32 times their money as of, as of last year. So I consider
2: that very, very that, sexy. That when you put it that way, so what, legit, what characteristics do you look for in a business when you go to acquire? Because you remind me of a, a guy, I'm going to have to think of his name again, who did this in the cable industry, the radio business, and then the en- entertainment business up in Boston. Anyway, what do you look for in a company or, in, or in an industry? So I look for very specific things. They've all
4: been in industrial services. That's my background. Okay. Way. I look for large industries. I look for industries that are hundreds of billions of dollars in size. I look for ones that there's lots of interesting companies to buy. It's not consolidated so much that there's not a whole lot to buy. It's still fragmented and at reasonable prices, at multiples less than what we're going to trade at, so we get some accretion from what we're buying. And I look for an industry where it's not totally tech forward yet. And I can take our tech prowess and apply it to the industry to get an advantage.
3: So what industries do you see that have opportunities at this point? You're
4: not going to give up, are you? So stay tuned. I will definitely tell the whole world what industry we're going to consolidate, but not today.
2: What kind of capital structure do you think is appropriate today versus maybe when you did United Rentals, when you did XPO, um, debt is not free anymore. Talk to us about that. Talk to us about maybe if there's any other external equity you need, can you get it?
4: So in the first instance, we'll be uh, debt free. We'll have a billion dollars of equity that we're putting into the company, and we'll have no debt. Over time, to answer your question, I, I think one or two turns is probably a conservative way to approach it, given the world and the turbulence and the risk, risky nature of what's going on in geopolitics. And in terms of it available, I, there's no, never any problem raising money if you've got a good track record and you have a good team and you have a good business plan. So I'm not worried about access to capital.
3: What do you think that tells us about the direction of the economy right now?
4: Well, I don't, I'm don't. i not going to give a prediction because my prediction has been bad last year and a half. Like <laughs> most everyone else, year and a half, two years ago, I thought a recession was coming and no recession came. So I've withdrawn my conviction on predicting the economy. Having said that, I do see it being generally soft out there in Europe and
2: in the United States. And I see it slowing, I don't see it picking up. So in your investments, let's say what you're looking at coming forward? Is it? you prefer to stay in the U.S.? Are you looking for a global business? How do you just think about ge- geography? Because a lot of folks are saying, I can't go to China. Europe's too, this, the, the growth isn't there in Europe for me. Um, how do you think about it?
4: Well, Asia has an extra level of risk because what's going on with China. So I'm not, not eager to get into, into Asia. Um, I like North America a lot. I like the United States a real lot for all, all the obvious reasons. But I don't mind Western Europe. Uh, France, okay. UK, Spain, Germany, these are great countries with big economies and uh, the rule of law.
2: So what we saw during the pandemic was a sense of reshoring or friend-shoring, that type of thing. Did you see that? Do you see that at XBO and how does, maybe how does that change our supply chain? Because I kind of grew up in an era where it was all about globalization, more and more globalization. That seems to have stalled a little bit. Well, it's stalled a lot.
4: I see that more in, in our supply chain spinoff, GXO Logistics, which has about 200 million square feet of warehouses across 1,000 warehouses around, around the world. There, you've seen a lot of our customers who had a lot, big part of their supply chain originating in China migrate to Malaysia, to Vietnam, to India, to Mexico, back to the United States. So that's a trend that's probably not going to turn around. I think people want to de-risk um, being dependent on China.
3: And especially when it comes to the supply chains and what we just went through because of the pandemic, where are you seeing improvements and where are there still some lags there that are issues for the broader global supply
5: chain?
4: Oh, the supply chain has normalized quite a bit. It's not anything like it was a couple of years ago during COVID when it was hard to get anything and things move very slowly and the prices were real high. To the contrary, the price of freight transportation and logistics in general has come down a lot. And, uh, And its capacity, the availability of transportation is available quite a bit
2: so what's the biggest challenge as you think about it I mean you're gonna put some capital to work here Um, what do you think just broadly defined are some of the biggest challenges that you're gonna have for again redoing your playbook growing maybe through acquisition and so on and so forth. What do you think some of the challenges over the next several years for you? The most
4: important thing that has to be accomplished in any business plan, but particularly one that's going to be high growth and where we're aiming for the stars in terms of very very high returns to shareholders is people. You've got to assemble a world-class, real world-class, not even first-class, a world-class management team that's hardworking, that's honest, that gets along well and plays well in in the sandbox together is super smart, very focused, really understands what they're doing on top of everything. And if you can get a management team assembled that's got those kind of superstars, the rest, I won't say it's super easy because nothing's super easy, but it's relatively easy.
3: What's one of the top questions that you get from shareholders?
4: Well, shareholders are always thinking about, well, it depends which shareholders we're talking about. (laughs) So there's two categories there. You have short term and long term. So the hedge funds and some of the high velocity funds, they're very interested in the quarter. Maybe the next quarter. Right. At the most, the outlook for the next year. But the long-only institutions who own, you know, 5 10 15% of a, of a company and are owning it for several years, they're seeing way past that. They're not so interested in, in, the, in the quarter. That's interesting, but it's not the real focus. The focus is, how are you going to grow the business? How are you going to grow this business over the next five years, over the next 10 years? How you, what kind of organic growth are you going to have? What kind of margin expansion are you going to have? How, what are you looking at in terms of return on capital? And, and, and what is the specific business plan and the levers we should watch in order to hold you accountable? Those, those are the kind of questions that the, the serious shareholders ask.
2: All right, we'll be paying attention. We'll be watching the Bloomberg terminal to see that uh, headline go across. Brad Jacobs, he's executive chairman for now of XPO which is a New York Stock Not Exchange. For now. Yeah. I'm executive chairman. Of okay, <laughs> I'm staying. He's going and he's got a new he's got a new fund out there folks so uh, you know keep an eye out on your Bloomberg terminal to see what uh, uh, Brad and his team go for next. Brad Jacobs executive chairman XPO in our Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio.
6: You're listening to The Ken's our live program, Bloomberg Markets, weekdays at 10 a.m. Eastern on Bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app, and the Bloomberg Business app, or listen on demand wherever you get your podcasts.
3: Paul, as we were talking about earlier, taking a look at Spotify, reducing its workforce by 17% in the company's yep. steepest cuts yet this year as part of an aggressive effort to shrink costs and drive profitability. If you look at that stock ticker symbol spot up about 8% this morning on pace for its best day since late October. If you look year to date up over 145% who better to chat with us about the latest news with Spotify than Ashley Carmen reporter with Bloomberg News covering the auto industry joining us on Zoom. Ashley walk us through the latest with Spotify. What do we need
7: to know here? Yeah. So, I mean, obviously the big headline, 17% of employees, 1,500 people. Really awful. Really, really awful. It's the third cut this year. Spotify has really been under pressure from investors to cut costs, achieve profitability. Spotify invested heavily in the podcast space, and investors believed that that was a bad one. And we're really seeing the repercussions of it into this year.
2: All right. So, I mean, the stock's doing great. I'm looking on the FA function of the Bloomberg Terminal. Analysts are expecting this company to turn profitable in 2024, so it seems like the company's in, in good space. Do you feel like this is a, an announcement of coming from a point of strength or, or not?
7: It feels like it's coming from a point of strength, although it is surprising it does make me wonder about the status of the podcast business we've already seen them cut significantly in that department they cut two percent of the workforce in june primarily in podcasting so it does make me wonder if that bet continues to just not pay off and they continue to recognize it or if they think that they're just going to have to branch into new areas and that they'll have to cut costs to do so
3: Talk to us about the issues they've had with losing money just in due to terms of when it comes to licensing agreements with music right holders.
7: Yeah, so they have to pay a substantial portion of their revenue to the rights holders, of course, because in order to have a music streaming service, you have to license the music. And of course, the labels want their fair share. So that has been a real challenge for Spotify, which is why it has attempted to diversify its business by moving into podcasts and then most recently began offering audiobooks as part of premium subscriptions on its service.
2: Talk to us about the, uh, I guess, the competitive environment here uh, for streaming music. Just if you could set out kind of where Spotify fits in this. I'm not a big streamer of music, but uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, there's a lot out there. I mean, iHeart and everything. Just give us a sense of what the competitive landscape looks like.
7: Yeah, so Spotify is the largest streaming service pretty much globally. and they're independent. They are not tied to a tech platform, which their primary competitors are. So you have Apple Music, Amazon Music. You mentioned iHeart. I mean, that's obviously a big US company in radio, um, but their primary competitors here are Apple Music and Amazon Music. And those two really have the benefit of being tied to a tech company. So Spotify is trying to make it on its own as right. an independent and make the economics work, which is, which is a
3: challenge. So do other players in the industry face similar issues to Spotify or is it just more unique to that company, given what you were talking about when it comes to another platform like Apple Music, when you're a part of a much bigger technology company, maybe you're
7: more immune? I think it could be that they're maybe more immune, but Spotify really came out the gate. I mean, they spent over a billion dollars on podcasting. So they were the ones that made that huge, huge, huge bet and push on that space which I think puts them in a really unique position. And I do think that they also have to diversify to survive, whereas it is possible that Apple Music and Amazon Music can kind of stay squarely focused on music and be okay.
2: How much of their business is subscription versus advertising, and, and, and where does the market feel like maybe the most growth is can come from?
7: They've continued to grow their subscriptions, which quarter over quarter has just been a wild you know, amazing testament to the strength of Spotify. They continue to grow subscribers. The advertising business, they have free users, of course. And I think as they move into more developing countries like India, those users, of course, are going to potentially be on cheaper plans or free plans. So advertising could become a bigger part of the story. But really, they are a subscription business and investors want to see subscriptions.
3: And this does come during a year where Taylor Swift had quite the momentum (laughs) on Spotify, so how is it when you have someone that's successful on that still maybe not enough to prevent Spotify from having to go through these different cost-cutting efforts?
7: Yeah, I mean, Taylor Swift, of course, super successful, Beyonce, Drake, all of them, but at the end of the day, Spotify has to pay royalties every single time someone listens to those songs, so they're not getting to necessarily benefit from that. I mean, they get subscribers, and they make some money, but... Not enough to offset just the fact that people are obsessed with Taylor Swift. I mean, that's why that podcast that where they don't have to pay royalties whenever someone listens to a podcast was smart. But it, the question is, can they actually build a business around it? And, and is it working? Right.
3: So, so Taylor Swift is actually going to earn yeah. more than $100 million <laughs> in Spotify royalties for 2023. Right? Yes. Wow. Oh my goodness. Breaking it in so, there.
2: So, where are we with, with the podcast? Uh, business, Ashley? I mean, are they still committed to it? Are they, how do they phrase kind of how they're going to invest in that going forward? Because I know that was a concern, as you mentioned before, for a lot of investors.
7: You know, they still have, at least prior to these cuts, they still had a podcast department that was dedicated to doing original programming. I think after this, these cuts, we'll find out more about what the state is of those shows Um, but really where I have seen the company focus has been on advertising. They really want to not only put podcast advertisements behind their own programming, but also behind their third party partnerships with people like Joe Rogan and Dak Shepard, as well as people who use one of their hosting services. So that could be places like NPR, for example, uses their service. They put ads on their shows. Um, so that has really been the focus moving forward for Spotify and That was a newer goal, so I think we're still trying to figure out whether that's going to pay off.
3: We only have about a minute left, but do you see further job cuts coming in the next few months or or the next year, or do you think this will be limited to what we saw today?
7: In his blog post, the CEO, Daniel X, said that this decision was made to avoid further cuts in the next year or two. So that's where he's at with it. I would hope for the sake of the employees that's the case because this has probably been a pretty traumatic year for them. But, yeah, as of right now, that's kind of what we know.
2: All right, Ashley, uh, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Appreciate the reporting there. Ashley Carman, reporter for Bloomberg News, talking about uh, Spotify. Again, one of the bigger stories today on the Bloomberg Terminal, cutting 1,500 jobs. Um, You take a look at the stock price, and it's been uh, all over, uh, but it's had, again, up, you know,
3: up over 145% yeah, year to date.
2: Yeah, but he just pull up the max chart here. I mean, it's obviously, well, it spiked and got up to $350, $355 a share you know, back in kind of the beginning of 2021. Uh, so it's got a lot of work to retrace. So it's not near us all-time high, but it's definitely moving higher. And again, this is another tech story, much like Meta, where you're getting rewarded for cutting your costs and focusing on profitability, uh, which was different from, you know, just several years ago when a lot of these tech stories were rewarded simply for growing top-line growth, whether that's revenue or even subscribers or anything like that. Now the metric has become... Profitability, kind of the way it probably always should have been.
6: You're listening to the tape. Catch our live program, Bloomberg Markets, weekdays at 10 a.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio, the TuneIn app, Bloomberg.com, and the Bloomberg Business app. You can also listen live on Amazon Alexa from our flagship New York station. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg
2: 11:30. Justin, I have to talk about a big, big story in the stock market, in the economy in 2023. It has been AI. It came yes. Out of nowhere. Uh, and now every company talks about it. I don't care what business they're in. They think Kroger it's going to trans- yeah, transform, <laughs> disrupt our industry. I don't know. But there are legal issues uh, associated with this, which I think we're just starting to get our arms around. Um, and that is, includes an area of. Uh, in marketing and advertising. So that's a big issue. The question is, is it a slippery slope or a good idea? Uh, The person who has the answer to that question is Rania Sethome. She's a managing partner at Sethome Law Group. So Rania, when I think about, I'm just reading your stuff here. Um, Only something, this is according to the US Copyright Office, only something generated by a person can be copyrighted and AI is not a person under copyright or patent law. So if AI is used to come up with an advertising campaign, a marketing campaign, who owns it? And aren't they using maybe stuff that was created by a human that's protected by copyright? How's all that work?
5: Yeah, it's complicated. <laughs> it, it is only protected if it's written by a human being. And the application will denote who owns it. Typically, they'll put a company name anyway. We may never know whether it was written by AI. But some things that can happen is that as uh, AI is, is learning, whatever that means, it may be overly inspired by something that was written by somebody else and that's a landmine. Also, the voice of the person may change slightly, and the messaging may not be exactly what you want, right? We're, we're emotional creatures as, as humans, and marketing just hits that nail right on the head. I'm not sure if AI has honed in on our feelings just yet. What are some examples of some companies that may have run up against some legal
3: issues here when it comes to AI and marketing?
5: Well, I think uh, we spoke previously a little bit about Sarah Silverman saying that whatever they're doing with her book is uh, copyright infringement because AI is learning her book and other people's books, of course, and then they're going to market something as a result. We don't know what it is yet, but she recently um, found herself in a setback in court, and the court said that she did not uh, prove her case, and she didn't allege the facts needed to proceed. So... Uh, I think everyone is still having this huge learning curve and we all need to study hard to figure out where our options lie.
2: What you use in your note here, you just had that uh, as an example of where this could be is that these machines go out and, and start aggregating information. They may go out and if they're looking for an advertising tagline, nothing gets between me and my Calvins, uh, which was just an iconic campaign starring Brooke Shields.
5: Yes, I'm aging myself with that example. It
2: it worked because that's all people talked about for a (laughs) very long time about this this product. Um, But let's say a machine goes out there and grabs that. Yes. And somehow that gets incorporated into a marketing campaign. Somebody owns that copyright to Nothing Gets Between Me and My Calvins. I don't know if it's Calvin Klein or the ad agency or whatever. Somebody's got to do the homework on that.
5: Yes, it is very important if you're going to use machines to help you that you have to check the machine's work. You can't just accept whatever it is generated.
2: Do you think that's happening?
5: Uh, Not really. I think that AI is making a lot of things easier and streamlining a lot of processes. And again, we like that, right, as people. I mean, look what happened with computers. Everybody was against them. Oh, my goodness. Y2K, we're all going to die. I think Mm -hmm. that happened uh, and it was wrong. (laughs) So we love things that are convenient.
3: What industries are using AI in marketing the most right now?
5: I think all industries are across using them the across the board, and we just don't know it. I, I think that uh, you know they take aggregated information. For example, a hospital, right? How many um, I don't know. How many people are going to that hospital for some kind of sports injury? Well, they're going to start marketing about sports injury because it's difficult for one person to sit there and examine each and every commercial, each and every um, posted, ad, everything. But a machine can do it lickety-split.
2: All right, so AI was once again in the forefront of some of the Hollywood uh, strike issues between the writers in the studios and the actors in the studios. And I guess there's new language in those agreements. And what is what language was incorporated in there to kind of give protection vis-a-vis AI?
5: Well, I think that uh, there they're both winners and losers with uh, the provisions that are in their contract now. So one thing that's a win for the actors is that if you use AI to create a fake Rania, for example, Mm -hmm. I still get paid, even though I may not have worked on it because you're using my likeness. Everyone thinks it's me. So I'm going to get paid. That's certainly a win. However, uh, the producers are permitted to create synthetic characters that may not look like anyone you recognize. And... No one gets paid for that. They can also make a double of me and use it for satire. So think of, I'm going to date myself again, mm-hmm. Weird Al Yankovic, <laughs> all right, what he was doing, like like a surgeon or whatever. So you can use it for parody. You can use a double of me or anyone else for parody, and you can use it for some kind of biographical data. And the actors won't get paid for that. So there are some winners but there are also some losers, and there's a wide like availability of new characters out there. If we've ever wanted to figure out what a baby would look like if it was had two parents that we both think are pretty, we can create this image in AI. Moving forward,
3: how much of an issue is this going to be, especially for marketing, if A.I. still has a lot of question marks surrounding it and how it's going to be used by companies.
5: Well, I think to uh, protect yourself as a company, I mean, that's who I'm usually working with as the company. Uh, I tell them to have review rights in all their contracts. So before the agency just posts your advertisement, check it. Make sure it sounds like you or if it doesn't, you like the new sound and uh make sure that whatever is stated is factual because there's sales puffery and then there's misrepresentation and it's a very fine line.
3: And then the Hollywood strikes as far as what that means for potential jobs. Talk to us about that.
5: Well, I think uh, what can happen, what I do see happening is if some stars either want to make too much, whatever that means, or they have attitudes that the producers or directors don't like, they'll just create a synthetic character that doesn't look like them or anyone else, and then they just pluck them out.
2: All right, Uh, let's switch gears. Let's talk another uh, New York specific issue, which non-compete agreements, which are in financial services industry here in New York and the legal industry in New York, lots of them really prevalent. What's the status of non-competes in New York?
5: Well, Kathy Hochul, just uh, last week, rejected the bill as, uh, as th- given to a- her. And
2: this was a bill to...
5: This was a bill that says all non-competes in New York will be prohibited. Okay. And she said, no, that's uh, not going to help businesses out. And she has until December 31st of this year to redline it. Maybe she's going to add some limitations to it. One limitation I've been listening to is uh, if someone is making more than $250,000, you can fo- enforce a non-compete, otherwise... Maybe not. So we're going to wait and see the power of the pen and how she uses it until the end of the year.
2: How important is this to, like, what's the business community in in New York saying?
5: Well, everyone is frightened. I mean, think about it. If I purchase your company, and then tomorrow you can open up another company and tell all your previous customers, who I just thought were going to be my customers, that you're doing the same thing under a new name.
2: So who's backing the passage of this? Just labor groups? Yes, Okay, so this is a question I'm getting just, I mean, this is kind of a new issue, but it's just, you're either pro-business or you're pro-labor at its basic fundamental level, I guess?
5: Well, I think that's uh, what we're seeing across the United States, either you're for or against something, and the world is very nuanced, and it's a difficult position to be in, to always just say yes or no.
2: So, again, we'll hear from Governor Hochul by the end of December. Is that the plan?
5: Maybe. If she does not make any changes, then it'll just um, disappear. However, President Biden has something similar in the works on a federal basis, so it may be irrelevant soon.
2: Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Lots out there. Uh, uh, that, that's why we talk to people like you. Rania Sedholm, she's a managing partner. Sedholm Law Group. Talking about uh, AI and its impact on a lot of businesses, including marketing and advertising and all that kind of stuff. And then uh, just more broadly, find on the on the um, employment front, just non-competes. It seems right. like it's, non-competes have been around forever.
5: They have
3: been, and especially in financial services. Yeah,
2: exactly. Garden leaf. I mean, you know, how many people have taken up a new... Uh, skill just by playing out playing with their garden leave a little bit s p 500 off six tenths of one percent uh here in the market so we got a little bit of soft, but that was after i guess five weeks of big time performance
0: the countdown has begun from may 14th to 16th a thousand global leaders will gather in doha for the carter economic forum powered by bloomberg join heads of state
6: Catch our live program, Bloomberg Markets, weekdays at 10 a.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio, the TuneIn app, Bloomberg.com, and the Bloomberg Business app. You can also listen live on Amazon Alexa from our flagship New York station. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130.
2: There's a little place out west called California. They have a lot of teachers. They do. California. Um, and they taught my youngest son actually he graduated from a California high school. And, uh, those folks save for retirement. Somebody's got to manage that money. It's a lot it's of important. work. Uh, our next guest is, that does that Chris Ailman. He's the CIO of Calster's California state teachers retirement system. Got a little lost between the sixth and fifth floor, but we found you. Uh, Chris, that was a heck of a November for these markets.
8: What happened there? That was the soft landing. We That's just the so- had the soft landing. <laughs> <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> rates are done you know did we see peak
2: rates do you think we saw peak
8: rates maybe 25 just for but i no i we've hit peak rates. yeah and but i don't think they need to ease anytime soon because that would imply a recession they'll gradually step down but the street's ahead of itself and i think november was the signal it was a soft landing Hmm.
3: so how do you view markets heading into year-end and what's your outlook for 2024 as far as when we're talking about that soft landing scenario
8: Yeah, that's the interesting question is I don't think anybody's happy about this soft landing (laughs) and very worried because normally you would think that that means the economy is going to take off, but you don't get that sense. We had a bit of a merger Monday, so maybe the market's coming back that way, but cautious and absolutely neutral on the asset classes. We're not going to take a bet. Fixed incomes back. Municipal bonds are back so you can buy and hold. I wouldn't trade. But uh, private credit, there's just not a lot of opportunities. Everything's priced to perfection.
3: It's interesting because there still is a lot of pessimism out there from a sentiment standpoint. And when you square that away with a lot of the consumer spending data that's still really strong, what is it that's really pushing people who have a call going into next year, thinking that the economy is going to substantially slow? What is going to be the catalyst?
8: You know, that's a tough question because I've been predicting a recession for 16 months. So I've been (laughs) wrong the whole time well thank you and for saying think, that because a no, lot of I'll people are
3: also in that camp and who have not admitted that they were wrong <laughs> no no
8: I'll, I'll fess up i've been wrong a lot in my career it happens uh, so i i don't know what would cause that catalyst i think the lower end consumer is running out of money when you have weakness out of walmart out of dollar store yep. sprint airlines frontier having a few open seats maybe they're going to spend at christmas they're going to overextend and so maybe we have a bit of a, a debt hangover in january february that's where we feel it. I'm getting nervous because you still see like Spotify today, you still see layoff notices and reductions. We'll wait to see the employment numbers on yes. Friday. They have been surprising us on the upside. So this is also called muddling along. And I, yes. I think in a large extent, that's what 2023 20, was about and 24 will be about.
2: All right, you've been doing this a long time here. I'm not commenting on his age. I'm just saying you've been around this he block a few times. He has a lot a of experience a stock market up 18 19% whatever the S&P is here but when you back out 6 7 names and it's basically up 4
8: 5% what does that tell you worries the heck out of me yep i listen to you guys every day so just a plug <laughs> i really do i listen to you every day driving into work california time, time that's right sector you've been around as long as i've been around <laughs> and, and i'll just say that they uh, that no that always causes for concern because yep. we've seen that before in some technology names um, and and this is so extreme with that magnificent seven. So it's not healthy breath in the market. I think that's another downside. Jess, as you said, what would cause the market to down turn down? I think it's a high inflation number or an uptick in inflation, a worry about employment and then then everybody resettles their expectations.
3: Gina Martin-Adams, have to bring her up, who over at Bloomberg Intelligence, who leads the equity side. She and her team did research on the concentration when Mm -hmm. you are looking, especially at mega cap tech. And even when there is heavy concentration, there's still time to make money between um, that concentration and when obviously there could be a flip in leadership. But from your point of view, I mean, is there still time for people to lose out if they're too concerned for too long? Will they end up losing out on, on making money? if they're too oh, I mean, concerned about too concerned
8: for too long camp my staff will tell you i've been a permanent bear through all of this and it's not worked paul i thought a global uh pandemic was a bad thing yep. but i found out now in my career it's a good thing so um i have been a, a bear and that has not been the place to be we're we're neutral on our equity weighting, and we have been over this my like 16 month uh uh, bear market prediction and recession prediction because it's too expensive to be out. So I think you have to be fully invested. You have to pay attention to asset allocation again and be balanced. You can't just be in the magnificent seven. So you say really balanced, is.
3: what are you advising clients to? How are? To I've been telling
8: people pay attention to fixed income again. It's back. Rates are up. It's at a decent place to invest. Um, you know, we're, we're not putting new money to work in real estate or in private equity at these levels, just a steady investor in private equity, but really private credit. It's hard to find opportunities again, because the private flip credit side, yep. Paul's yep.
3: very into yeah. private credit.
8: Well, you know, uh, variable rate returns. You've got to do your homework. You've got to look at your credit analysis. Absolutely. But uh, that's been a very nice place to be because the banks are out. So a lot of the big pension plans, the Maple Lake in Canada are investing in that area.
2: So what is it for as a typical asset allocation, you know, equities, fixed income alternates? What's typically been your model?
8: You know, we have adjusted it over time. We're going back into fixed income. Our fixed income got all the way down to 12%. Really? Oh, yeah, because there was just no return out of fixed income. Yep so you know equities for a long time was over 50 percent that's coming down a little bit into the 40s uh we're going to go to 15 in in fixed income but we're also heavily invested 15 in real estate 15 in private equity we've got some inflation sensitive assets Mm. uh, and we have another category we call risk mitigating strategies a bucket of things publics and privates uh that that diversify the portfolio so if you go back to the big picture we're 80-20 and we always have been, it's just the sub-components have changed over time. How
2: concerned are you about this private credit business? Because it just feels like we're one or two big blow-ups away from everybody's eyes going to private credit saying, oh my goodness, how much capital do these people have over there? I just feel like there's no really, anybody, it's kind of the wild west, nobody's really looking at it.
8: I hear you, I think that, uh, and you will, if you have a recession, you'll have some blow-ups in credit because people didn't do their homework. Uh, Covenant light will come back as a real concern paying attention. Credit work has always been about the underlying credit, the the due diligence on the construction of the loan, that Mm -hmm. all still matters and always has. The big banks have stepped away from that middle market lending and that's why we've been able to come in. So yes, you're now seeing this wave of capital going in, but it's been been going in place for about four to five years. It's not brand new. It's just using that term is more recent. I think it's going to be uh, an investable area, but it will always have its stories. You're going to have your Silicon Valley banks and your first reserves. That's just natural in life.
3: So no red flags brewing in private credit from your purview.
8: I don't think so, because, you know, spreads are tight. So that's a concern, but spreads are tight in the corporate bond market. Uh, Mm -hmm. But no, I don't think it needs added regulation. And I think people I will just constantly caution people. Do your homework on your credit analysis. Don't loan money to people who can't pay it back ultimately they won't california how's the economy out there you know very mixed people don't like uh and I inflation it, cause that's a
2: big state oh so yeah it's
8: very like, diverse I mean, well and you guys you know san francisco was in the spotlight with apac yeah. um not as bad as some people made it out all the big cities are having trouble with homelessness um southern california is doing okay Um, we get hit by higher fuel prices and higher energy prices. Uh, And I think we're going to be continually impacted by climate change and people aren't paying enough attention to that. Stronger storms, aberrant weather. How do you incorporate that? Because we have a, like everywhere else, we have a big ESG
2: focus at Bloomberg. We allocate a lot of resources to it. But it's become politicized in the U.S. And I kind of feel like it's losing some of its time in the spotlight, at least here in the U.S. I know it's
8: different in Europe. How How does ESG go into your investment process. Absolutely ingrained ingrained into everything we do. It's part of our core and our center. Larry Fink said he won't use the letters E, S, and G. That's right. That's become politicized. The idea of uh, governance risks, environmental risks, employment, social risks still matter, and they're just part of long-term investment risk. And so I think we've got to get away from the initials and the political side, and really focus in on long-term business risks, which absolutely matter CEOs pay attention to this they just don't use those initials
2: just real quick 20 seconds do you think there's a positive correlation between climate change in your investment
8: process and returns I think there will be over time I think it is the biggest mega trend Paul that we're going to see in the next 10 years it is absolutely going to dominate the investment landscape we have to go through a huge energy transition I would love to be at a table maybe I'll get this dinner
2: him, the same, his counterpart in Texas his counterpart in Florida. That'd be fascinating. That hey, I talked to Jay Salby, <laughs> Texas teachers,
8: good friends with Florida. Yeah, we'll, we'll meet you at your tea time on Friday. <laughs> exactly, very good, Chris Alman. Thank you so much for joining
2: us. Really appreciate it.
1: Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Markets podcast. You can subscribe and listen to interviews at Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you prefer.